Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you should happen to find this. Welcome to the Quote of Arms podcast. I am J-Ro, the Unsummoned Skull, your host with the most. I'm joined today by... Jack Fitzsimons. Welcome, Jake. Great to have you. So on this Thanks pod- for having me, Jairo. Absolutely. So on this, quad- on this podcast, we talk about our favorite uh, <clears throat> tribes, archetypes, and synergies, and uh, what they're like, how they work, and why they're so important to us. So what tribe are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about ninjas. You better believe it. Uh, Naruto joke. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> so... We're talking about ninjas in magic. Uh, there's a certain ability that's tied with them, and then they also have different statistics, and they have certain um, ways that they're viewed. Now, the last time you talked about ninjas was before Neon Dynasty released. So it'll be interesting to see what sorts of uh, things have changed about them, if anything, but also just to see, um, just in general, what they're like and how people might build around them. So what are ninjas like in magic? So ninjas are defined by, I mean, I don't know if they predate the original Kamigawa block, but certainly that's my first exposure to them, even though I started playing well after Kamigawa, but they're defined by the fact that they've all got ninjutsu. And I should point out that it's jutsu and not jitsu, because I think the majority of people say, oh yeah, Yuriko's using ninjutsu, and it's ninjutsu. Um... Not that I know anything about what is the correct term or not, but yeah, that's just a tiny, tiny nitpick that um, I got wrong all the time until got corrected. But they're all defined by the same ability that lets you cheat one into play, often cheaper than the casting the creature really would have been if you um, if you replace an unblocked attacker with it. So it's got this great um, thematic vibe of. Um, of subterfuge and snakery and general skullduggery. That's interesting that you mentioned the uh, <clears throat> uh, so the pronunciation uh, because uh, in addition to the uh, to, so you can hear from the accent that you are from Australia. Yeah. Yep. So Australia is uh, is the Oceania region is somewhat near uh, the the Asian region, and there I believe in World War Two there was a lot of contact between the two and that there was some occupancy in, in terms of preventing Australia from properly entering the war. Um, that's me being a history teacher and such, but yeah, no, no, you, you know, you know, you know just what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's interesting that there's probably a decent population of Japanese Australians. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. So there's probably a good amount of people there who could correct you on the pronunciation, which is nice. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I've, I've, I've mostly been corrected by uh, Chinese players, but I don't think that's got anything to do with ah. where they're from and more from the fact that they just uh, like correcting me, my, my mates do. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, there were also the Sino-Japanese wars, so there's some vicarious stuff there, but... <laughs> I, well, this is this is off track. Oh, absolutely. Um... um Yes, I, we, we go pretty far off track and then move our way back. So, <laughs> what is this uh, this ability that you're talking about? So, I've, I've actually, I've got Yuriko uh, in front of me, who is sort of the uh, queen of ninjas. Um, and the way it reads is simply, it'll ask for a cost, which is always just mana. 
and then you return an unblocked uh, attacker you control to your hand, and then you put this card, which will be the ninja that you've got in hand, onto the battlefield from your hand, or in the, in the case of Yuriko, the command zone, tapped and attacking. So it lets you get in a lot of um, damage that you otherwise wouldn't, and a lot of ninjas have um, uh, combat damage triggers. Mm -hmm. And this was part of what was tricky for me in terms of when I was learning the game, because... I started during Champions of Kamigawa, so Umazawa's shit and ninjutsu were just abilities that baffled me, because when Kamigawa first came out, that the first uh, the first block of of it, damage went on the stack. Oh yeah, so, I mean you're you're well before my time there. By the time I really sunk my teeth into magic, damage on the stack was long gone. Mm -hmm. One of the nastier things was was uh, Trigon Predator with ninjutsu because Trigon Predator when it dealt oh, combat yep, damage yep. would blow up a, an artifact or enchantment and then you would bounce it back to your hand so they couldn't mess with it anymore and then you'd have the ninja there yeah nice oh that's sweet well I mean the, 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 I, one of the things that I love so much about the mechanic is that still I mean never mind damage on the stack there's still so much complicated stuff that you can do with it mm -hmm. and I, I've, I've always found it interesting that, like, if you look at the original Kamigawa, the samurai had Bushido, and the ninja have um, Ninjutsu, and Ninjutsu has lived on and has shown up in Commander products. Uh, it was in Modern Horizons 1. Obviously, it came all the way back in um, Neon Dynasty. Um, but Bushido, as far as I can tell, I don't know how it wasn't limited, um, strikes me as a bit of a flop. It's a very... There's, there's not a lot of play to it. It's pretty much what it says on the tin. Yeah, and that's where um, I think the, uh, Warriors and Samurai got kind of lumped together on a couple of cards, but also Rogues and Ninjas kind of got lumped together too. Yeah, 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 the banding stuff. Yeah, I really like... Uh, no, not banding. Batching. Batching, that's what Mark Rosewater calls it. Mm-hmm. But it's cool to see cards that are able to function like that and even better when you have things that can count as both really only needs to be one or the other though so ninjas in general they have these abilities that trigger when you deal combat damage but yep. the downside is that they're not really all that likely to do it on their own what's the average stat of a ninja look like I actually don't know what the average would be, but I mean, I my my, my oh, guess okay. is the approximation. Doesn't have to be like the approximation. Oh yeah, approximation. It'd be two two or lower. Yeah, they're, they're, so there's yeah. Small I'm gonna, I, I'd call it a one point five slash one point five power toughness. Mm -hmm. Would be my average. Yeah, if I recall correctly, one of the uh, origins of ninjutsu actually was going back to morph, because there are a number of morph creatures that. Um, when you so when you flip them over, they trigger on combat damage. So you attack with the two two morph, and then you you pay them the morph cost. And it's like, oh, by the way, I smacked you with this thing that was really or that you thought was a morph. Yeah, well, I mean that figures. I really like um, I really like morph as well. It it, it tickles the same part of me with um, uh, yeah, being sneaky, doing stuff people don't uh, expect you to do. Uh, I, I think it makes combat so much fun. Absolutely, and they're very similar looking abilities in terms of 
it's everything seems good and then suddenly the small looking guy becomes a big looking guy <laughs> yeah yeah the primary difference i think with ninjutsu is that instead of wanting or instead of having everything on one card it's a two part strategy yes yeah yeah absolutely so what are the two parts so the the fact the fact that you need to i mean the ninjas need support you like a, a deck built of nothing but ninjas is never going to I mean, i'm sure you could do something but even still it's going to be very clunky what you really need is stuff that is going to enable your ninjutsu because if you're hard casting your ninjas just directly onto the battlefield things are pro probably not going to go well you're, 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 you're going to be playing very low statted creatures that have got summoning sickness cost a lot of mana and don't really do a lot so a big part of building a ninja deck whether it's commander or any other format is that you need enablers and what makes those enablers good or what makes them worthwhile is either and ideally both but either an incredibly low cost or a very very good effect when it leaves or enters awesome so what are some of the examples of that that you have in your deck oh so well i mean i the <laughs> The history of Yuriko enablers is a very, very interesting one because there's so many, there's so many options. Like, it's not surprising to anyone that there are a lot of one-drop creatures and we've seen over the last however many years just how far they're willing to push a one-drop creature, how great they're willing to... Um, uh, just how much text that they fit on stuff now. The first card that I remember seeing and being like, well, how is that a one-drop was... Um, Spectral Sailor, which I think is from M M19 or M20. Uh, like, one drop, flash, flying, four mana, draw a card, was just incredible. So that's a perfect example of something that is flexible. You can hold up mana, or you can sink it in right before um, your turn begins. And flying, at least in, so I, I should also stipulate that the deck that I'm playing and have played for so long with Yuriko is a CDH deck, so my my considerations for what i'm coming up against certainly come into the deck building and flying in cdh very often reads like true unblockable so in my deck i don't actually run some of the more traditional or i'd now consider old school um enablers like good or lurk um is a good example from one of the takir sets where it's really just a one one with unblockable or triton shore stalker um and they're all fine. They, they absolutely get the job done, and the job is to get Yuriko in on turn two. But they don't bring a lot else with them. So if I go through my list of enablers, um, stuff like Fairy Seer. One drop, one one. Flying, which like I've said, is more or less unblockable. And when it enters, you scry two. So that's all, scry two is already great on a one drop. Um, you're not getting any card advantage out of it, but you're sort of smoothing over the top of your deck. And crucially for Yuriko, given how much you care about what is on the top of your deck, Scry is just so much better than it usually is anywhere. So there's a real emphasis on making your one-drops work for you and do more um, than just provide unblockable. And so stuff like Fourth Bridge Prowler, 1-1 one, one when it enters, a negative 1-1 one, one when it enters, you can clean up someone's dork. Mausoleum Wanderer, you can sacrifice it to give a tiny miniature mana leak. And then, of course, you've got the incredible, like the, the absolute 
the pinnacle of your one drops, which are one drops that also happen to be ninjas. And there's actually a couple now, courtesy of Neon Dynasty. We've got Changeling Outcast, um, Moth Dust Changeling from way back in... What is that hilarious tribal set? Shadowmoor or Eventide? I forget which um, one it is. Morningtide, I think? Yeah, Morningtide, yeah. Uh, Universal Automaton. Um, and then the big... The, the best of them all from um, Dynasty, you've got a uh, Thousand Faced Shadow, which is a 1-1, one, one, one drop ninja with flying that also has ninjutsu. Like it just, I, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that card. Could not have, I could not have asked for more. That's about as far as anything else the deck gets from now is just gravy. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful little addition to the deck. Um, <clears throat> Signal Pass is another one that can help the offensive strategy. Yep. Yeah, Signal Pest is Signal Pest is a good time. That's actually something I've only fairly recently added. Um, I'm very, very greedy with my fast mana, and I've been looking for more ways to justify uh, Mox Opal. And I sort of already realized that I had enough artifact enablers um, that I reached the usual threshold, which is about 15 low-cost artifacts to turn it on. But Signal Pest, I, I kind of... I was confused as to why I hadn't looked at it before i i just sort of i'd forgotten about it i suppose but um it can't really be blocked reach isn't something that you run into very often and nor is um flying the fact that it pumps up the rest of your team i mean one just one more power that's not really going to bring anyone down that much quicker but what it does do is that it just makes combat maths harder like yuriko is a one three in cdh she's not going to die to a lot but there's a lot that she can't swing through. There's a lot of stuff like Dranith Magistrate and Thrasios where she just bounces off. And actually, they're poor examples because Signal Pest does not get them to the point that they can take over. But it can for something um, like a Dockside Extortionist, for instance, or a Timna. A Timna usually would be able to bounce off a Yuriko. If you take Yuriko up to a 2-3 just through the Signal Pest, you're just a little bit more reliably going to get in cleanly, and get all the triggers that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that three toughness is also pretty important. Um, um, Tony, you're, you're talking about how it's able to survive going into combat, um, <clears throat> and how it's able to match up defensively against some of the more aggressive threats that can, or that can be on the other side of the table, especially in CEDH. Uh, when people are less likely to build up a board. Yes. I'm sorry, I think I lost you there. Alright, so we were talking about how it matches up defensively with some of the other threats of the format. Yeah, yeah, it just, you, you, you can more reliably get in and it, it, it used to be the case in CDH that you could just swing with total impunity. Nobody really had any creatures in the way, which is how old um, CDH powerhouses like uh, the Planeswalker Teferi um, were able to get away for so long with an unprotected walker. But as time's gone on, um, the quality of creatures is going up, as I said, a lot higher and a lot faster than the quality of um, spells. I mean, you know what I mean by spells. Um, 
And, and, so, and so what it means is that being able to get in reliably has become increasingly important. And thankfully, particularly with Dynasty, um, Yuriko has just been getting um, better and better ways to get in. I wonder if a portion of that has to do with the prevalence of cheap counterplay, uh, especially for uh, cheap counterplay for combo that helps to enable uh, aggressive decks because they're not affected by that counterplay. Mm. Yeah, go on. Run me through that. Like, Fierce Guardianship is an awesome card against Ad Nauseam, but I don't think it does much against Ninjas. Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things that um, makes Yuriko so satisfying, and also I know so frustrating for so many people, is that she dodges so much of the stuff that you'd usually be able to answer a commander with. Like, you cannot counter... Yuriko. No one's hard casting Yuriko. You cannot respond to Yuriko with a counter. And yes, Stifle exists and Trickbind exists, but they 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 just do not see play. And I'll be sad if they ever do, just because it'll put my precious Yuriko under threat. But same token, um, Dranith Magistrate is a huge pain in the bum for every single commander ever printed, with the exception of Yuriko and Derevi, because you're completely bypassing one of like the core tenets of the format which I, I i love i really really enjoy but to everybody who loathes that about her i totally see where you're coming from it's nonsense mm -hmm. yeah being able so the commander ninjutsu ability so ninjutsu refers to putting a creature from your hand onto the battlefield or, um so instead of the creature itself dealing combat damage commander ninjutsu is coming in is, is putting it directly onto the battlefield from the command zone and as a, so that's how it's able to, to bypass that ability or that, that uh, restrictive static ability. Yep. And you need never worry about command attacks. Correct. <clears throat> so that's another thing that makes it so that it's able to remain an aggressive threat. It has pseudo haste because it just comes in attacking. Um, <clears throat> and it can keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Uh, but in terms of how the deck, uh, so the strategy the, the deck uses to to wrap up a game, so it's able to peck in with those little guys that are unblockable or difficult to block. Yep. But that can take a while, and that it by in and of itself isn't necessarily a valid. Oh, I'm not going to say it's an invalid CEDH strategy, but I think in, in CEDH, if you're going to use a strategy like that. You're usually using um, like cards that are so a commander that'll let you draw or scry based on those those little attacks, so that you're able to get closer and closer to things like uh, I think I've seen before um, Edric being used to draw into um, yep. <clears throat> uh, extra turn spells, but that's not necessarily yeah, so how this works. So, so it, it, it works, uh, I'd say, similarly, but a little different. So Edric, courtesy of um, having green and just sort of more mana to work with overall, can actually hard cast and chain endless turn spells uh, together. There are variants of Yuriko and a version that I used to play that was much heavier on turn spells. Um, but as CDH has got quicker and quicker... Um, the speed of like what you need to be doing, you can't really bank on having. 
you need to be doing impactful stuff every single turn and having five mana spells rotting in your hand when you're playing a blue-black deck um, is not ideal. So the only two I'm still running are Temporal Trespass, which is important for two reasons. I can pay, I can cast it for just three mana, very, very underrate, but also it flips for a whopping 11, which is great for um, dealing genuine damage that can bring everybody down. And Temporal Mastery, which I can use top deck tutors to cheat the cost on. Um, but <laughs> there are similarities to Edric in the sense that the more... I mean, the, the better you build your board, the more card advantage you're getting from um, each swing. But with a lack of turn spells, you can't keep doing it. You need to make each swing as impactful as possible. So you start looking to things like um, the top deck tutors, like Mystical Tutor and Vampiric Tutor and Imperial Seal. And some lists run... Um, uh, what's the name of that? cheeky old uh, personal tutor the one that just puts a sorcery to the top and some lists run scheming symmetry which i used to and i've actually been looking for for room again um and you then you, you put the fattest things you have in your deck directly on the top of the library so stuff like at the moment my list has only got blink moth infusion which is a flip for 14 damage and a completely useless spell there is i mean it's been my goal in the three years i've had this in my deck to to one day cast it and I've never had the opportunity. I have never had enough mana to cast a Blink Moth Infusion. Um, so it's a completely dead card, but 14 damage off the dome to every player at the table, excluding you, of course, is actually quite a lot. Everybody, regardless of whether you're on an ad nauseum strategy or not, uses their life total to some extent, whether it's fetch lands and shocks, whether it's mana crypts, whether it's mana vaults. Um... Even, even even just occasionally um, sinking more into Timna than you're getting back off the lifelink. Over the course of a game, life totals go down. And what Yuriko is really good at is picking the player that is starting to go down and really putting the pressure on them, which is just fantastic, <laughs> which I enjoy so much because, like you said, in CDH, combat damage is not considered a... And this is changing, um, but... Traditional, conventional wisdom would say that combat damage is just not the way to go in CDH, but um, Yuriko's been putting in a lot of work, and well above Yuriko, you've got Winota that very, very regularly finishes games with combat damage. The amount of times I've lost to a Winota combat damage turn um, outweighs the amount of times I've lost to the Kiki-Jiki combo by a factor of 20, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, uh, so... With Renata, though, you're attacking usually with decently sized creatures. You're also using those same creatures to uh, slow the opponent's strategy down, as opposed to a, a bunch of small creatures that don't really interact all that much with the opponent. Well, so, I mean, I, I can see why you'd... Um, I can see why it would look like that, but the difference is that where Winota puts down stacks and puts it down at an outrageous rate... Um, Yuriko's actually able to fight on the stack and handle um, threats that stacks cannot answer. Um, well, that is. But yeah, do... no, I mean, okay. Winota does more damage through her creatures, um, uh, massively so, but mm -hmm. Yuriko's flips is where the real money is. And you need to get lucky with it, or you need to be able to set it up. So we mentioned Yuriko's flips. That is a part of the card that we haven't really talked about so much yet. We talked about it being a 1-3. We talked about Commander Ninjutsu. The flip part is that 
combat damage related ability that ninjas have. And in particular, Yuriko's ability is <clears throat> uh, to flip over the top card or whatever a ninja deals the damage. So it doesn't have to be Yuriko herself. It can be any ninja uh, that yep. you control. You flip the top card over, and each opponent loses that much life. Yeah, it's, it is it is so addictive. It's so much fun. The excitement from oh, just the sheer amount of games I've had where I've swung in with, I don't know, three or four ninjas, and there's been a chance that it'll be enough to wipe the table out or just one player out, and the whole table and everybody watching holds their breath as we flip over the cards one by one. Oh, it gets me every time. It's it's so much fun. I mean, yeah. getting getting bad flips with Yuriko is almost as much fun as getting good flips with her because it's just so funny. Like, getting five... And, and I, 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 my absolute worst, I took a photo of it and I put it on Twitter. I had a game where I was swinging with Yuriko and I think eight uh, or seven copies of and one original Miss Syndicate Naga um and some other ninja that i can't remember i had 10 flips and i flipped i think seven fetch lands a mana confluence a mental misstep and maybe a fairy seer or something you can get you can get so horribly unlucky like the the randomization with it um i i think it really highlights the fun of the fact that you just never know what's on the top of your deck mm-hmm. yeah a deck i have that's similar to that is actually uh i play oathbreaker a good amount or at least I did. And oh, cool. I have an Oathbreaker series on my um, on my YouTube channel. It's called Oath and Dagger. Uh, so one of my oh, decks nice. on there is Soren Grim Nemesis. Uh, yep. Oh, yeah, I know that one. With Vampiric Tutor because, of course, because he's a vampire. Um, but re- uh, plus one is reveal the top card of your library and put that card in your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to its man- uh, convert mana cost. Oh so, yeah, so yeah, you, you you know what this life's all about. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, those flips. There's I think a thirteen mana in there that does stuff like that. Nice. I have another deck that's uh, Tipple and uh, what was it? Erratic Explosion. An Erratic Explosion. You flip until you get a uh, non-land, and everything in there costs nine or more. <clears throat> so you're gonna be smacking somebody for nine every two turns. That sounds, that sounds sick. Well, in Soren, are you going to put in the new um, Shadow of Mortality, the one from Strength and New Compenna, the big 15-drop thing? Possibly. I haven't upgraded Oathbreaker decks in a while. And when I have, it was more just to put money cards in them. I think the last one I changed significantly was my my first deck, which was a group hug deck. Uh, Tommy, a field researcher in Truths. Nice. That's cool. That's a cool combo. Well, Truce is probably my favorite card outside of Unsummon. Yeah, I, I saw you tweet about it the other day. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially that version, although I don't I don't usually use that version. I use the Homelands version because I like old cards. But that flavor text on there is precisely why I play, why I play games at all. Yeah, nice. That's cool. I'm just looking at it now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flavor text is uh, not all victories require defeat. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> and when you're talking about those exciting moments, that help that helps me remember. Uh, I used to be a pro player, 
I used to be on the Pro <laughs> Tour. Um, I played in Grand Prix and played on a couple Pro Tours. <clears throat> um, but I remember watching Pro Tour coverage and dreaming of being on the Pro Tour. And some of those moments were similar to what you're talking about with Yuriko, where it's like, okay, just flip the card and... <laughs> It reminds me of uh, the Craig Jones flip. If you, uh... Yeah, 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 yep. Another one, <laughs> just the one you're talking about. <laughs> yep. Helix heard around the world. <laughs> yeah, that, that, those moments, those, those, yeah. Yuriko mm-hmm. highlights the best in the top deck. That That's, that, that, that's how I say it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you get those, uh, I mean, you still use those tutors to try to manipulate it a little bit, but. I mean, nothing compares to I'm I'm setting up my cruel ultimatum mana. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. One of my favorite, as far as like setup stuff goes, um, nothing gets quite nothing feels quite as good as the scroll rack setup. Particularly given that you can order your Yuriko flip triggers to do something like you can have a scroll rack in play, swing with Yuriko. Let's say you've got one more ninja, so you've got two flips. You flip the first time a blink moth infusion, then you can set it up to unless i'm i'm saying this so confidently i've done this in play i i i hope i'm not about to be corrected by people i know you can certainly in between flips use a vampiric tutor um but certainly as i understand it you can also activate a scroll rack to put whatever you just flipped back directly on top of the library before the next flip goes off and doing that with something like a blink moth infusion for a whopping 28 damage um yeah it feels pretty good Mm mm-hmm Especially because, yeah. I mean, this is changing, but Adnors' uh, ubiquity in the CDH meta means that there's there's almost always someone that is not just worth killing because it's your opponent, but worth pressuring as early as you can because if you don't, they're going to sink um, an awful lot of life into um, a Necropotence or an Adnors. Or, I mean, even with a Godo player, hitting the Godo player as hard as you can early on is really good for making sure they can't dump uh treasonous ogre and put every last drop of their life in for a squillion billion um red mana yeah now contrary to what i may sound like on here i actually don't have a lot of experience uh playing cdh i do try to consume as much content because i like to know everything about everything or at least as much as i can but i really oh, you know what you're talking about you've, you've, you've got a <laughs> A, a cursory knowledge is all you need. I mean, I, I've yeah. been trying to um, get a little bit of a better handle on uh, what the average uh, playgroup is more mm-hmm. like. Because for so, I, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately quite uh, insular. Like, my introduction to magic and my love of it comes from, like, a large group of friends that live locally that uh, we all play together. And we've been playing CDH for ages. But the amount of times... In the last three years that I've sort of sat down to play a more regular, um, traditional game of EDH uh, is very, very low, and I really need to get back into it. So maybe we can teach each other a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so if, if you're not already in there, I have the, my Skull Symbol server, which is an elegant oh, server. It's also just a nice, chill spot to talk about magic, including CEDH, but usually more chill games. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> There was a time, and I'm, I'm considering getting back to it, but I have to get back into the flow of things a little bit. Uh, but for about a year and a half, I ran four games a week on my stream. Uh, some of them had some 
special things behind them. Like I would do mono colored Mondays, tribal Tuesdays. Oh, nice. That's cool. Like that. And then some of the uh, some of those vods are on my uh, YouTube as well, although they're not edited as much, so I'm not as proud of them. But I mean, still cool stuff. Yeah. I try to keep the vods of just about every game that I play in on my stream. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool thing to have to look back over. My, oh, yeah. my, my, my playgroup and I we've sort of given up on it um, now. We'll get back to it eventually, but we were. Taking down numbers from every game we played, trying to get a handle on um, uh, not just who won but and, and which deck it was, but who went first, what the winning card was, mm-hmm. um, any particularly... I mean, we initially had particularly funny notes... Uh, sorry, uh, insightful notes of like, oh, there was a very interesting interaction with the timing with an opposition agent. Um, but very quickly, those notes became much more like, oh, yeah... Charles used a tutor into an opposition agent that he already knew was there. And it actually became this wonderful sort of diary to look back over some of the funniest oh, yeah. moments we've had that we'd otherwise forget entirely. But yeah, being able to film it and have it on VODs, that that, that would be sweet. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I need to get back at it, too. Uh, I, I haven't really been playing all that much recently. Um, <clears throat> a little bit of it's because I've been overwhelmed. I've been... Uh, burned out and we're, we're, uh, we're into them uh, may is mental health month and i've had some mental health issues that i've been working on yeah well i mean the most important thing is it, it with magic is if for even a second you're feeling burnt out or you just don't really have the energy to pay attention to it you just take a break like mental health's way more important I've, I've been i've been having sort of the same thing maybe since i really like new Capenna, but I think just after Kamigara and I was playing like an absolute um, madman, I've, I've needed to take a bit of a um, a step back. I've been trying to take a bit of a step back from um, uh, Twitter. Social media is a bit of a trap. Oh, yeah. There's no way it's good for mental health overall. It just can't be. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, so it, it helps a little bit. It does help a little bit because that's where I get some of the validation of, oh, I'm so many people actually care to pay attention to. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the most wonderful thing out of social media is um, making uh, good friends with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, well, there's also going to be people who come and go. Mm. Um, and sometimes you find out that people aren't necessarily who you thought they were, and that's not necessarily great either. But, I mean, it, it has its ups and downs and pros and cons and such, as, as do most things. Yeah, for sure. So... Talking about ups and downs and pros and cons. So, how have ninjas changed between the two uh, uh, the two Kamigawas? Oh, yeah, so so massively. So, when Yuriko came out, which I think is Commander 18, I won't bet my bottom dollar on it, but I'm pretty sure. Um, at the point that Yuriko came out, ninjas were already a tribe that people liked, and a tribe that people were working on and trying to find a good commander for. And the most popular one, as I remember it, was uh, uh, Vela, Vela, Nightclad, um, which I think it's whenever you, whenever a creature leaves the battlefield under your control, um, you get one damage to each opponent. It's something to that effect. But what matters is that it's six mana, and even though there's a minor synergy with Ninjutsu, like, minor is overselling it. It's 
it's barely there at all. So there was sort of a need for a good commander. And Yuriko got printed. And I mean, the one, one of my not issues, because I, I love Yuriko, but it's almost impossible to imagine a better ninja commander. Like she's perfectly costed. As we were talking about before, she skirts around all these rules that she shouldn't. The floor for a Yuriko deck is you're going to be able to draw an extra card and possibly deal damage on turn two, which is a very, very high floor and incredibly consistent. But at the point that Yuriko came out, I think you only had seven, maybe eight. I've written this somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure there were eight ninjas in print at the point that Yuriko came out. So Yuriko was cool and there was a little bit of support and you could um, mess about with all sorts of changeling cards so you could sort of artificially inflate the number of ninjas there were but it was still fairly clunky compared to another tribal deck that had more tried and true support um but yuriko like i i, I don't know how it was for you but certainly in my play group i sort of saw yuriko in play maybe three or four times in games and i was just consistently blown away by her resiliency, her consistency, how much fun she looked to play, and the fact that you were drawing heaps of cards. And I was so amazed that I just, I had to have the deck. And my friend Charles was looking for um, a new deck and possibly to pay for tickets to a festival. So I just bought his Yuriko deck wholesale off him, and I've been working on it since. Uh, and it, it's got a bit of a Theseus ship grandfather's axe thing going on now where i don't even think there's a single card left over from the original because i've either replaced with a foil or a masterpiece or an extended or the decks changed mm-hmm. yada 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 anyway i'm off track the point is That's is okay. that nothing nothing to begin with with yuriko modern horizons one came out and all of a sudden there's all this incredible stuff for yuriko not just like actual ninja support but incidental stuff that was so helpful and i've already talked about fairy seer which was modern horizons one which is like the dream one drop not even the dream the real dream one drop is changeling outcast for one black mana you get an unblockable ninja like that is that's it that's if i could fill the deck with nothing but changeling outcasts or at least (laughs) fill out the enabler suite but with nothing but um outcasts i'd do it so Modern Horizons 1 had those two, and then as far as the actual ninjas it had, it had Ingenious Infiltrator, which is like a pseudo-Yuriko, a force force multiplier where every ninja that deals combat damage, you get a card. So you have that and Yuriko in, and even just the two of those, you hit, if you connect with both of those, that's four fresh cards in your hand, which is just nuts. Um... And then cuter stuff like uh, Miss Syndicate Naga, which is pretty slow to start up, and three mana's a, a tad clunky for a creature with um those pitchfork stats of three and one but the fact that it just constantly makes more of itself oh yuriko just got such a boost from that set it was fantastic absolutely so interestingly enough you're asking me what i thought about facing yuriko and and my groups i actually really like facing yuriko it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite decks to face which is kind of weird I like games that are semi-aggressive that go relatively quickly um, because I, I like ways to pressure multiple opponents at a time. And I play a lot of yeah, burn. So basically, if I focus on the Yuriko player, the Yuriko player will knock everybody else down. <laughs> and yep, quite yep. often what winds up happening is I just... 
I only need enough materials to take down the Yuriko player and a little bit extra. Yeah. So it plays yeah, well, well I mean, into what I do. Yeah, one thing that Yuriko falls to, like, life gain does not see... Life gain sees no play in CDH, and I can't speak to more traditional EDH, but I know even in high power, life gain is not a particularly common strategy. But it's very funny that Yuriko, which is, I think, in the top five commanders, like ever as far as play goes based on edh records certainly is in the last five years uh oh, sorry two years rather um it just totally folds to life gain if you run into incidental life gain like it actually does come up the one time it comes up in cdh is when you're up against someone that lands a turn one sarah ascendant and they're just swinging for six life every turn you can get yourself in a pretty funny spot where none of your chip damage matters and you're actually trying to take someone down with like one threes and one ones and two ones and you look you look you look a fool. I wonder how it would fare against like Heliod or Zozu. Ah, uh, is Zozu, Zozu the Punisher? Is that the uh, that's every time a land enters? Yeah. Well, so Yuriko, in my experience, so we were talking about Winota before. Yuriko, in my experience. Uh, really likes having another deck at the table that is pressuring life totals. Um, mm. Like, I used to play in a pod that frequently had Rurik Thar, and because Yuriko skirts around so much stacks, it plays comfortably when the board's being stacked out, and courtesy of the amount of ways to give unblockable, it doesn't particularly care when the board is um, massively gummed up. It still can. You need to find something to get through it. But what it means is that while the other players are working on dealing with the stacks and trying to fight out from under it, you can just um, you can just keep doing what you're doing, sort of uninhibited, un mm -hmm. unimpeded, uh, which is very cool. Yuriko's got a lot of really interesting um, matchups, as I said. Yeah, that also goes into I can't remember exactly how the card reads. Uh, <clears throat> it's too dangerous. Yep. So one of the cards that's able to Yuriko's able to get around is Ether Flash. Which uh so Zozu is kind of like a a stack stack. Now, now this is just one that I've created. I haven't seen it do as much as I would kind of like to see, but it's a pseudo stack stack. Where it has Oh yeah, I know I Flash, I know this card. I used to have this in my Mogus deck. Mm hmm This is a sick card. Yeah. So that in Zozu in particular, though, is a way to uh, just spread a lot of that damage out. If you have any damage increasers, um, <clears throat> it can be a way to sort of lock the board down. Uh, yeah, oh, I, I, I the Flash would um, absolutely crush Yuriko into a paste. <laughs> well, the, uh, Yuriko right, itself at, at survives it, though. My deck could not possibly stand up to that. Yuriko itself survives it, but it's interesting how that could be an interesting um, anti-meta card if uh, decks like Yuriko and uh, and Winota wind up being really, really good. Having any sort of damage multiplier or increaser along with Ether Flash could be a really good way to keep the board locked down, assuming that your deck isn't looking to build a board itself. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, the home that I could see for something like this where you might tech it in would be in a uh, polymorph deck. If you're already not running... Um, I mean, a polymorph deck specifically with Thrasios as the commander so that you can get Thrasios into play without losing it to the Aether Flash and then polymorph into Tide Spout or Holebreaker Horror. 
But that's cool. That's that, that that's nice tech. I like that. I hate the flesh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems like it could be a cool little guy. Um, <clears throat> granted, again, I don't play a lot of CEDH because I like to play games that are exciting and back and forth, but I also like to give opponents resources when I want to. Yeah, well, you were saying before about you built a... I mean, J-Ro, this is, this is the dichotomy of the Magic player, because you, you've <laughs> talked about how much you've enjoyed group hug decks. Uh, I mentioned Mogus. I, I played a group slug deck for like six months and just loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my slug is Clothis. And the way that that deck wins, because I like to just play... It's a Clothis Enchantress deck. Uh, green, yeah, nice. Green, uh, green, red Enchantress. And that one wins with the combination of Form of the Dragon and uh, Roar of... Not Roar of the Worm, what was it called? Sandworm Convergence. Oh, you had me in Form of the Dragon. That's an awesome card. Oh, yeah. Um, the, when I made uh, Top 8 of Nationals, that was with... Uh, <clears throat> uh, it was with Form of the Dragon and... What was it with? Uh, it was with the Epic card... Searches out a, an enchantment. Uh, <clears throat> I was Enduring Ideal. Cool, yeah. Enduring Ideal, sweet. Enduring Ideal. Yeah, uh, that's an epic card. Uh, search your library for, an, uh, for any enchantment and put it into play. Then shuffle your library. <clears throat> yep. Most hilarious part of that was when, uh, oh no, I've already talked about this on the on the podcast before, but I'll talk about it with you again, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, hit me. <laughs> uh, so I was playing in, <clears throat> um, I was playing against Blue White Control with uh, Enduring Ideal, and I had um, the Red Acroma in the sideboard, which has protection from White and Blue, mm-hmm. and I got a little impatient. And put it, uh, morphed it face down just to be able to get some damage in because the game was kind of neutral at that point, and I was, I just wanted to end it. And the opponent put it under detention sphere. Oh! <laughs> but I had, uh, yeah, I had two uh, of the OG Besejus, which is one of my favorite, another one of my favorite cards. So I just went, uh, okay, Besaju, make another Besaju, Legend Rule. Uh, besage you again so you can extra not counter this enduring ideal. <laughs> and then... Double uncounterable. No, it's a double negative. It counters itself if you give it double uncounterable. That's my <laughs> understanding of the rules. Uh, well, then I use the enduring ideal to find an O-ring and then get my guy back flipped. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was a crazy series of plays. But yeah, enduring ideal is one of my favorites. Yeah, those epic spells are really, really cool. I've never actually, I've, I've never had one in a deck. I've never really uh, tried one in any capacity, but they look like fun. I think I put Endless Swarm, which puts a 1-1 one, one green snake for each uh, card in your hand. I think I put that one into a deck I haven't really had a chance to try out yet. Um, I made a budget Adrixen Nev. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. With no other yeah, doubling double seasons besides Adrix. So it's, it's a budget deck. <clears throat> but every card in there provides multiple tokens. 
Yeah, nice. So it's almost like the deck itself is a doubling season. Yeah, I brewed a deck for... Um, I never played it. I, I brewed around those two um, when it came out. I sort of wanted to build it, but there's enough Simic... Um, there's enough uh, Simic token re out there already. Yeah. I thought it was a cool ability on a card that doesn't cost that much. Yeah, I like that it's efficiently costed, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Similar to Adrix and Nev, I like that um, ninjas can either go wide or they can go with direct damage. So they have the ability to <clears throat> close the game out in a way that some aggressive decks have some difficulty doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And also, I mean, there's all, always the fallback of the fact that you're in Demir and it's pretty much free to throw in the Thoracle um, combo so you can always just and i mean you've got tutors you've got the card advantage you will draw into it but one thing i love about yuriko in cdh is that as far as i know she is the only deck in the meta that will ever happily cast thassa's oracle just by itself and there's a caveat to that which is that obviously if you've got a tutor in hand or you're already holding a forbidden tutor you're not going to do that you're going to save it so you can actually go for the combo but Thoracle's ability actually synergizes quite nicely with flips. If you've got a hunch that there's something good on top or near the top and you've got a decent amount of blue devotion, you can actually just dump Thoracle out of your hand, put the best thing on top, get the flip. And even better, because of how ninjutsu works, you can swing with her in a later turn and get her back to hand. So you haven't actually hurt your... I mean, it costs a bit more mana, sure. Um, but you're not actually stopping you from going off with the best combo in the format later. Like, Thassa's Oracle is actually a card I have cast on turns that I haven't won the game in Yuriko, and there's so few decks that can say that. At least in CDH, I know there's plenty of casual players doing normal, fair things with her. Yeah, and you do have a decent amount of devotion just from the ninjas themselves. It's entirely possible to <clears throat> uh, not have your deck completely empty and still win with it. Like you could even possibly trigger it um, multiple turns because you can bounce it back, and that, that's one of the nice things about having unsummon effects like that. Yeah, yeah, constant, constantly being able to uh, play and replay and rebuy your effects is so good. Like the other um, wonderful one to do. I mean, fairies here, of course, but fourth bridge prowler, which looks so unassuming. It, it's such a small effect, but the tempo that you get off this. And if you're, let's say, let's say you're fourth in turn order, the chance that someone has played an Esper Sentinel or a Birds of Paradise or whatever the heck, a Skirk Prospector, some random, a Blood Pet, random combo pieces, this, that, the other, just playing a one drop and cleaning someone else's um, one or zero drop up with it feels really, really, really good. And if that's your turn one, your turn two is almost certainly 99 times out of 100 going to be Yuriko, which means that for turn three, you can just fourth bridge Prowler again, and someone will have played a 1-1. It is so rare that um, FBP goes uh, wanting. You always hit something. Yeah. And there's certainly a good amount of things to hit with it. Um, it's especially nice if you can hit a Mana Dork with it. That really sets them back a while, and it also 
sort of impacts their ability to keep certain hands. Yes. Well, you can also, and I've got a lot of mileage out of this, you can also just bluff with it because you can do stuff where you, let's say you, I was talking before about how Yuriko bounces off a Timna. Let's say my opponent's played a Timna and I swing with a Yuriko. If, that, that, if they can block the Yuriko, they will just block it. If they know you have a fourth bridge Prowler in hand, they either won't block it or they'll be silly and forget, and they will block it. And all you need to do is, okay, fine, Yuriko bounces off, and then second main phase, I dump the fourth bridge prowler, Timna now dies. And you can leverage that in, you can imply that you have a fourth bridge prowler, or an effect similar. There, there used to be an instant um, that was run that created a token that was similar. Um, and I've, I've totally got through a couple of times by suggesting strongly enough that I have a fourth bridge prowler, that someone will let Yuriko through when they almost certainly should not. Mm hmm Yeah, anytime you can get that extra sneak in damage, that can wind up being the yep. difference. Mm-hmm. Just sneaky little things like that. <clears throat> uh, that's where, as I was describing how I like decks that have the option of being group hug, or group, uh, group hug if I want them to, yeah. Um, one of my favorite decks that I built recently is my um, Demir Burn deck, which has... Oh, uh, nice, yeah. So all the card draw spells in there are sign and blood effects because they've, they've made enough of them recently where <clears throat> you can... Uh, oh, you target your opponent with them? Yeah. So they can be burn spells. Um, so I'm never without a burn spell because all of my removal... All of my card draw, all of my um, all all the cards in the deck really, um, about fifty percent to draw a burn spell at any given time. Oh, that's yeah, that that's sweet. I mean, the I, one of my favorite wins I ever had with my old Mocus um, uh, group slug deck was just me and one other player. Shout out to my friend Robin. Um, <laughs> she was on two life left. Uh, and I, I top-decked a Sign in Blood and spent... And, and, and not only did I top-deck a Sign in Blood, I top-decked my full art copy of Sign in Blood, and I had, like, quite some time of being like, okay, I'm just going to draw two cards, I'll hope something happens, before thinking it through and remembering that I can target an opponent and successfully mm -hmm. killing her through the draw. It was fantastic. I love those cards. That's sick. That sounds like such a cool deck. You'll have to send me the list. Absolutely. So, yeah, like, if you have an Underworld Dreams out, and then you play the Black Confluence. Um, you can return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield and have that be uh, like the black uh, the enchantment creature that's in Underworld Dreams. And then have the opponent or have the opponent draw two cards and lose two life, in which case they lose four life because yeah, of nice. the order of the spell. The creature gets returned first, and then they draw the cards. Just. Nasty yeah, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big it also feels so thematic, all of that black draw. Mm -hmm. I love the um, uh, power at any cost sort of vibe. Absolutely. But then there's the group hug part of it where I can draw somebody else cards if they need them to try to get their deck to work because, especially on my stream, I like everybody's deck to work. Yep. Yeah, nice. But it doesn't tick off the table because they're still losing life and so it's not like I am helping them that much. Yeah, you're not, like, outright king-making. Mm -hmm. 
I also like the idea that if I use it on myself, it lowers my life total so that people don't feel the need to attack me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that works. It's the nice thing about sitting in second or third. <clears throat> because when you do that, you can sort of sneak up on people like a ninja, and we came full circle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so... We talked about your particular Yuriko deck and how and we talked about how you got it and actually we talked about a good amount about what it means to you. So the deck means a lot to you. Do ninjas as a tribe mean anything to you? I think they've sort of uh, come to mean more. I mean, I truly outside of Yuriko, I don't think I had much of a fascination with ninjas um, beyond. No, yeah, not really. I, I, I don't think ninjas actually speak to me in a um, special way. The fact that they are a coherent tribe and it's a tribal deck that can reach the hallowed halls of um, CDH is really exciting to me because I really like the... Um, I mean, I don't know what sort of player I'd class myself as, but I really like top-down design and I love tribal stuff and i like themes and i like having a vibe to a deck rather than just a pile of staples and don't get me wrong i love my i love my piles of staples but yuriko as a deck and not just my deck made something to me because it's just fun having it's fun having something so off the wall so different to the rest of the meta um actually playable mm -hmm. uh in the meta absolutely i love how uh it's a tribal deck that's able to be successful but there's still room for um, for new cards to come in and make a difference. There's also room for uh, customization. Yep. <clears throat> uh, different things like that. But there's also a cool thing about just being able to play a deck that <clears throat> you just tell somebody what you're playing and they have a decent understanding of what you're doing. And can probably help you out, or maybe you find a kindred spirit who plays the same or similar deck. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the, the I think it's also come to main heaps to me. I mean, I was talking before about how I bought it off a friend of mine, but that 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 friend, he and I still play together very frequently. Um, he pilots the deck from time to time, and I've worked. Um, I mean, I've worked on the list as well, but I've I've put I've put such a silly amount of time into making it look flashy and filling it with really nice extended art pieces and um i got a my, my favorite part of the deck is i got a masterpiece ornithopter which i actually bought with my first paycheck that i ever got for writing about magic oh, um, nice. which was yeah it was, it was it was cool i was i was really happy with that and i i love how that card looks like that um that sort of filigree orange that those kaladesh masterpieces have it's beautiful Cool. <clears throat> yeah, it certainly is a, a nice way to invest the hobby, or to invest back in the hobby, and to have the hobby essentially pay for itself a little bit. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, it's been an honor having you on. <clears throat> uh, oh, thanks so much, Jaro. I really appreciate the in invite. It's been yeah. a pleasure chatting with you. Absolutely. So where can the people find you or your content? Uh, you can find me on Commander's Herald, um, where I've got a weekly article that sort of jumps topics. It's broadly about 
CDH and EDH in general, but um, I've done everything from interviews to deck techs to reviews, this, that, the other. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Jake underscore Fitzsimons, F-I-T-Z-S-I-M-O-N-S. Awesome. Well, thank you very much and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jerry. You too.